Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to foxcitiesmm.com hover and simplify your domain journey today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, before we get started today, we're going to do a couple updates. All right, you, I, you we, do some updates, I'm going to crack my what beverage. What, what, before you do... What's our what's our beverage of choice today? Uh, today I've got a Monster Energy drink, Ultra Rosa. It's oh. a it's a pink sugar free monster. Lots um, of caffeine. No, 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 not Making really. Making your heart jump out of no, your chest. No, it's not really. No, it's one hundred and fifty milligrams of caffeine. That's not that much. So now take a drink of it. Yeah. And can we confirm, is this better than the Amazon brand drink? I mean, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> the Amazon brand drink was really bad. It's not right? that good. But the these pink monsters, I like these quite a bit, actually. So, for these updates, I apologize to everybody, but because <clears throat> of the way we record, it tends that we record something a really long time ago, and we don't really get feedback on it until much later, for some reason. So, mm-hmm. But... The first update I have comes from a listener, and this is goes back to the Fox City's Murder and Mayhem episode that took place in the UP, the episode that was never supposed to exist on this podcast. <laughs> so in that episode, I had mentioned that you talked about, what was it called? Do you remember the punch syndrome or whatever oh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. called? Being punch drunk. and uh... Yeah. Okay. Wait, it is punch drunk. That's what they call it. Yeah. But now it's called CTE. Yeah. So, we I had mentioned that Junior Seau, who for anybody that doesn't know is, is like was like a football player, had died from this, and I was pretty much accurate, but slightly inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to clarify for anybody that thought we were crazy, um, Junior Seau did not actually die from the condition. Junior Seau shot himself in the chest, but which is a very different way to die. Yes, yes, but. <laughs> There is strong evidence to suggest that the reason he shot himself was because of this condition that he was suffering from. Mm-hmm. So so that clarification. And then we also have a listener who I am not nearly qualified enough to say what her job description is, but she's some sort of psychologist mm-hmm. type person, works with these types of people. And she was listening to the episode Irwin, Irwin Hyden. Which me and Gavin before this tried to figure out exactly which episode that was. We don't really remember the details of it, but it is about a guy in Appleton who has blackouts and ends up inevitably killing his wife. And she has a little diagnosis of what she thinks Erwin Erwin Hyden was suffering from. And because I am not qualified to make any analysis of this, I am just going to read exactly what she told me. So that yeah, I'm not screwing anything. Yeah, up. yeah, we're just we're just gonna put this on her. Neither of us are qualified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, to... We we have no idea if this is accurate, but this is what she says. 
The guy who has had spells or episodes where he would stare off into space for days at a time, he likely had bipolar disorder and he was experiencing catatonia. Okay. Catatonia is when the brain basically has no mood chemicals, had no mood chemicals, and you go into an almost like zombie-like coma state. When a catatonic brain goes quickly from catatonic to manic, a sudden surge in mood chemicals, that's when dangerous things can happen. Hmm. And especially because he was reading a book about the murder of a wife, he may have been experiencing psychosis around murder, and that was probably what triggered his thought of murdering his wife. But because he was psychotic, he couldn't differentiate what was real from what wasn't real. This Hmm. kind of severe bipolar is very rare, and he should have been found guilty by insanity. So, okay, which apparently he must not have been. Yeah, this is. <laughs> we we probably should have gone back and can, checked the tape on that one, just to uh, make sure, like we got everything right. But but she sent me this message right after she re- listened to the episode. So even though we don't remember the episode, she probably was no. I have accurate. I have confidence in her. I just. Uh, it'd be better for us if we knew exactly what the <laughs> reference was. Yeah. But no, that's. So, a, I mean, I, I'd. I know the person who sent the message. Yes. And I know that they are qualified. They've got all their degrees and all that. So I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to disagree with any of that. Like that's clearly a, a, a well thought out uh expert analysis. Um I guess my only thing I would say in response to that um is just it's always so hard to try to do this so many years after the fact. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's wrong. But I'm just saying, like, when we're just basically dealing with bits and pieces from decades ago and they're trying to explain it in their own way, it may not necessarily be accurate to how we would describe things today. So I would throw that out as like a as a caveat. But uh, it sounds like a, a good analysis to me. I think that's certainly it a, seemed, a good possibility. Yeah, it seems like it definitely could be exactly what happened. But at the same time, there's so much that we don't know. There might have been something just very something going on in his life that just kind of caused him to snap or something, you know, completely unrelated to any sort of mental condition. Yeah. I don't know. You know, because we, because we know so little, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But, but I like that. I appreciate that we have an expert. That uh, we now have a psychologist that can give us analysis on what people might be suffering. That's pretty sweet. So. All right. So with all the updates done, What yeah. do you got for us today? Well, today I've got our very special episode. We've got uh, the li- oh, listener submitted episode. That's right. I for- completely forgot about this. So let me tell you um, what I was going to do is I was going to take the listener submitted episode, make some modifications to it, and put it more in like the format that I would normally do. I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that is because... This is expertly written, mm-hmm. and I want the person to know, like, I'm sorry that I'm, like, reading this pretty much word for word, like, you know, because this is this is your content, and I hope that you, you know, I mean, I was given permission, but that I didn't really mess with it at all, because it's so good. Yeah. It's so well written. Um, well-researched, too. Uh, the guy who, writ- who uh, wrote it, 
I mean, even after he sent this to me, he went back and he went to the courthouse and was looking at death certificates. So this is something that he's really spent some time on. So this is this is going to be Gavin's first staff writer when he gets to the point when he needs to start hiring yeah. staff writers. <laughs> now here's the problem with this, and and I should have asked. This is this is how unprepared I can be say, sometimes. Can... <laughs> I should have asked because I can tell you the guy's name is Jim who wrote this. I'm not a hundred percent on how to say his last name. It's S T A N E L L E. So Stanel, Stanel, I'm not sure. And I I really should know that when I'm reading his material. Um so I should have I should have asked. But um this is this is the work of, of Jim Stanel or Jim Stanel. Um Stanel sounds better to me, I think. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. And if it's not Jim, I'm really <laughs> sorry. Um but where where are we going to before you start into the story? Like I believe this is Forest Junction. Okay. Completely new location too. Huh? Yes, and for people who don't know, Forest Junction is well, it's literally like just an intersection, mm-hmm. um, just to the southeast of Kakana, um, or northwest of Chilton. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair way to describe it. That's okay. a much better description that I could have done. I would have said somewhere between Kakana and Chilton. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's pretty much just an intersection. The sun rose at 4.13 a.m. on May 31st, 1900, a day where the high temperatures could reach 68 degrees, but likely at sunup were only in the upper 40s. I'm already saying, man, this guy's got more skill than you do. Guys. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't want to tamper with it. This is this is beautiful. Very well researched. Uh, Wilhelm Brem would soon be rising to begin his day on his farm in northeastern Wisconsin. His day would begin just like most of the days in the last decade or so since he bought this farm. He would milk his cows and feed them, tend to the pigs and horses, take care of the chickens and collect their eggs. He would clean the pens and throw hay and straw down so that it would be ready for the next time chores had to be done. He expected that this would be how each day for his next 40 or so years would begin on his farm. But this would not be a normal morning. This is good. Building the suspense up? Wow. Yeah, this is good. (laughs) Today he had planned... Last year, he had cleared some trees so that more fields could soon be planted, but some tree stumps still remained to be blasted out of the fields. The previous fall, he purchased ten sticks of dynamite to blow up stumps and used seven of them in the stump-clearing process. But the job was not finished and three sticks remained. Those three sticks were likely stored over winter in an unheated building on the farm or in an unheated room over his kitchen. Later this morning, a neighbor would come over, and the two of them would blow up some of the last remaining stumps. But there was a concern. The dynamite sticks looked like they were wet. Maybe absorbed a little water during a damp spring season? Would wet dynamite be able to blow the stumps out of the ground? Could they be dried out a bit? This is like this is good. I'm gonna start. Like I'm sorry, (laughs) Jim. I apologize. I'm just gonna keep saying how well done this is. This I do hope I do hope that you find a way to publish this somewhere because this is really good. I'm curious. Do you know 
wet dynamite is really, really dangerous, isn't it? Jim actually explains this. Oh, does he? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's great. It's really good. Yeah. Like, had I written this, I would have thrown in like, hey, let's throw in the history of dynamite to talk about, you know, throw some history into here. He does it. Yeah. He does it. So, like, I don't even have to do anything. <clears throat> After his morning chores were completed, Wilhelm probably took some milk and eggs to the house. He had done several hours of work and was hungry and ready for breakfast. The Brem house was of a common design for the for the area, a two-story main section that contained the living areas and bedrooms and a one-and-a-half-story wing on off one side where the kitchen was located. When Wilhelm reached the kitchen, his wife Lydia was there ready to fry some of the eggs along with bacon cured from their own hogs, as well as bread that she herself had baked. She had started up the fire in the cast-iron stove, and it was soon hot enough for cooking. The couple's three children, Willie, aged four, Walter, aged two, and Alfred, aged one, were up as well and ready to eat, too. They may have been less rested than normal, because Lydia's younger brother, also named Willie, so another, there's two Willies and a Wilhelm here. Wow. <laughs> was visiting, and they may not have fallen asleep, as easily the previous night, instead talking and playing for a while. I don't know if, if he's pulling this from the news about like her making her own bread and all this, or this is just an assumption that this is how farm life was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I can't I can't speak to that, but um it's so it's so beautiful crafted. Yeah. I don't I don't care if this is exactly what happened that morning. <clears throat> Wilhelm what wanting his dynamite to blast well had brought it into the kitchen and placed it into the warm <laughs> oven so that it could dry out. Well, this sounds like a terrible idea. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know a lot about dynamite, but I will tell you, I'm not going to cook my dynamite. <laughs> yes. And I would recommend nobody else cook their dynamite either. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's your fun background. Here's your science part. Okay. Nitroglycerin was first invented by Italian chemist Escanio Sabrero in 1846, but this explosive was very unstable and could easily detonate when warm or if jostled. In 1866, Alfred Nobel discovered that mixing nitroglycerin with silica would turn the liquid into a malleable paste that he called dynamite. Nobel's discovery meant that the new explosive was very stable and would not detonate without a blasting cap. It could even be burned without exploding. Except, if dynamite was exposed to freezing temperatures, the nitroglycerin would separate from the silica paste and would once again become unstable. If this happened, the dynamite sticks would appear to be wet. Oh, okay. Okay, did you follow that? Yeah. Okay. So, if if anybody at home did not follow that, uh, the original nitroglycerin, very unstable explosive, Alfred Nobel, the guy who the Nobel Prize is named for, he modifies it, he puts in another chemical to make it stable, and the fact that it won't actually blow up without a blasting cap. So, it's actually a very safe material. But, if if this stuff freezes... That extra chemical separates and it goes back to the unstable, unstable form. Version. Yeah. So if you've been paying attention, this dynamite has been stored over the winter 
and has been frozen. Yes, very much so. So, not what you're supposed to do. Gottlieb Stenell uh, lived just across the road and 100 yards to the east of the Brem farm. His morning likely started in a similar manner as Wilhelm's, rising early, doing the chores, and now back in the house for breakfast. But he had been doing this for the past 35 years since he purchased the farm in 1865, and now he had grown sons to help. It was about 8 a.m. when a blast shook his house and made a sound louder than they, than any he most likely had ever heard. Rushing outside, he looked to the southwest and saw the Brem house, smoke rising and walls blown out on the kitchen wing. He rushed over to the severely damaged house. Along with another neighbor, Charles Janch, they went inside where the kitchen had been. It was totally demolished. Walls were gone, furnishings unrecognizable, and the cook stove diminished to bits of high-speed metal shrapnel. They could see the bodies of the Brem family members mortally wounded by the projectiles. Four of the people were already dead, but Lydia and one child were still alive. But they did not live long. Oh, man. Yeah. Gottlieb's grown son, Art, lived a bit further east, and one of his sons was going to help Wilhelm blow stumps that day. He had just started walking to Wilhelm's place from his home further east down the road when the blast occurred, and he arrived shortly after his grandfather got there. It would be logical to assume that he was happy that he had not left ten minutes sooner. Yes? Yeah, very much so, right? Yep. <laughs> Glad I didn't arrive early for stump blasting day. Oh. Albert Janch, uh, Charles' son, one of the guys who showed up, uh, rode his bicycle eight miles to the Staven family home to inform the family, and he and August Staven, who was Lydia, the mother's mother who had blown up's brother, then had to ride to Depeer to find Lydia's father, August, who had traveled to the mill there. Other neighbors and family members either heard the blast or were told of it, and many soon arrived out of curiosity or concern. Within a few hours, Lydia and Willie's family arrived as well. On June 2nd, so when did we start here? Okay, May, May 31st, so June 2nd, two days later, a procession of five hearses moved from the church in Forest Junction past the demolished Brem home and half mile more to the west of the cemetery where the family was buried together in a mass grave dug by ten men and now marked by the tallest marker at Forest Home Cemetery. The body of Willie Staven was taken for burial in the Staven family plot in Greenleaf. The June 1st, 1900 copy of the San Francisco, San Francisco Call newspaper showed front-page news of the Boer War in South Africa and the Chinese Boxer Rebellion. But on the 10th page of that paper, toward the bottom, was a short 12-or-so-line article about a home dynamite blast in Wisconsin that killed six members of one family. The Indianapolis Journal from the same day carried a similar story. The point here being just that this was in newspapers across the country. Which is weird, right? You would it's, think. it's kind of unusual. Yeah. Uh, it's it does happen where just random news stories appear in newspapers around the country, but definitely this one was one that stood out. Yeah, just because <laughs> it's not. I mean, I guess I, I hate not to downplay it or anything, but it's very unglamorous because there's not like a big subplot 
you know, controversy about what happened here. You know, mm-hmm. it was somebody did something, made a mistake, we'll go with, yeah. and, and cooked his, his dynamite and caused the death of everybody. Yeah, so. yeah don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Wilhelm's brother, August, had a farm just across the road to the east of the cemetery. The main less damaged section of Wilhelm's house was later moved to that farm and another new kitchen wing added. The house remains there to this day. So that's interesting. Like the half the house blew off. The other half was picked up and moved and rebuilt. So if you want to see <laughs> the, uh, half the, the other house. half of the house, it's still, it's still there. Um, some 40 years later, Bert Stanell, here it says my father, meaning Jim, the writer's father, father, acquired the farm where the explosion occurred. And he built a house on the spot where that older home stood. I grew up in the house. Whenever we couldn't find something where it should have been, or when anything unexplained happened, we would blame the Brem ghosts. Could it be that it really was them? So, um, I, I want to say it one more time. Jim is an amazing writer. Like this, this is a great story. Um, I don't know where you would get this this sort of story published but i hope that he pursues that because this is definitely something that uh it barely even would require editing this is just really strong beginning to end and i think it's uh, one of my first questions was going to be at the end of this podcast was do do you have a no i mean how did he get turned on to this story but it it appears that answered itself (laughs) so every question i've had this guy was managed managed to write it into the story. Yeah, he so. knew. He knew what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, the reveal is at the end where you find out that... Uh, I mean, he didn't grow up in the house, but he grew up on the land you know, where land. the house was. Right. So. It's crazy. Yeah. What a good story. And I, I'd go as far as to say, without him submitting this story, do you think you ever find this? I don't know. I think that this, because I think it is a good story, but I don't know that you would ever discover it, you know? I mean, but it had it's, to have been in Appleton and yeah, Kakana Papers. So. It was in the Kakana Papers. So you did find something in the Kakana paper. Yeah, I did I did pull some stuff from the Kakana Papers, but it didn't really add anything. But yeah, I would I have found it? I mean, I think maybe eventually, but I couldn't have done it like this. Yeah. Because to me, the story, not having this personal connection, to me, the story is somebody was mishandling dynamite. And I would the way I would have done it would have been a collection of stories of various dynamite instances and made a story out of that. Because this by itself, I don't think I could have made a full story. Because mm-hmm. the incident is like five seconds. Right. You know, so I don't know that I could have done it the way that I normally do it. So I'm really glad that this was submitted. Yeah. I would have, I would have been like, let's just do like a half dozen unrelated dynamite stories. stories just stories yeah. of people who not don't use dynamite correctly, <laughs> um, which is, it's a common thing. Like you don't hear it anymore. I, I don't know if it's much harder to get dynamite than it used to be, but it, it used to not be uncommon for people to have dynamite accidents. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. So, I don't know. I don't really have many questions to ask on this story. There's so, no questions. It's, yeah, so, it's I mean, sealed perfectly. When you, when you write it that well. Yeah. And 
I, I do think that the way he pulled it all together at the end when he said, you know, brought it all around to the fact that he grew up on this land. Yeah. I, I think that was just masterfully done. I don't, I think it I'm was not mas- a writer, so I can't say that that's, if that's a, like, if other No, I, I think so. I think that it's amazing that he threw that at the end. Yeah. Like, instead of starting out in the beginning, like, the home I grew up in, da-da-da, like, throwing it at the end, I think, made it much stronger. I do, too. I think it, like, you listen to this story, and you're like, well, there's not much of a story here, but, you know, he, he did it in a very compelling way, and then just yeah. pulled it all together, and it'd be like, oh, God, that's exactly, you know. Yeah. So, Are you, is it is it technically murder or mayhem? I don't know, um, if we're strictly speaking. But certainly an entire family being blown up right. is uh, a pretty serious event. And I think that I I would go with it that could be classified under mayhem. It's, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not going to say murder because I'm it's pretty sure. It's definitely not that, murder. Yeah. Pre- I mean, pretty well, sure he didn't want to kill his entire yeah, family. I mean, but, presumably so. Yeah. I, I We don't know. There's nobody to ask. But yeah, I'm going to assume that it played out very much like this. Mm-hmm. So... So I guess the only thing we can add to this episode is is that, Jim, if you live in another house with a good backstory, yeah. we would love to hear it. Because- we would love to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, you know what, Jim, if you just want to send us some stories you write, I'm okay with just reading his stories because wow. he seems like he's a pretty good writer. I, I think <laughs> so. so. I think I think very much. So. Um, yeah. If anybody, if anybody at home has questions, uh, you can send them to me and I can forward them on. Uh, I'm not sure what more to really add to this story, but maybe you have a question or a comment and I can pass it along. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know that's really all I got. All right. Then with that, we will wrap up our first ever audience submitted episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. So we hope everybody enjoys that and everybody should hear this episode and say, I can do that too. Let yeah. me put an episode together. Yeah, if people and, want to submit episodes, I won't. Yeah, yeah. I won't fight you. On it. <laughs> if your if your writing is not as strong as Jim's, I might do some minor editing. But beyond that, I mean, I'll I'll read just about anything if it's related to our, you know, our themes here. So, mm-hmm. so all right. With that, we will be back in two weeks with another episode, and we just want to thank everybody for their continued support of this podcast, and we thank Jim for submitting this story again, again, and, very much, and thank being you. just a masterful writer. Yeah, you know, you're giving Gavin, you're making Gavin feel bad about himself right now. So I don't know about that, but this, <laughs> but it is, it is excellent. <laughs> so, all right, we will see everybody in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.